Well, good morning. We are continuing in our study. This is week three of our Apostles' Creed series. And so I just want to say a special thank you to Matt Carnes. I mentioned you in the first service, but you were teaching Growth Track. So I clapped for you because you were not here. So we're going to clap for you this time. You did a great job last Sunday. A message on evangelism and the importance of evangelism. And so I want to thank Pastor Matt for his passionate heart for God's word, for God and his word, and for you. And so we are going to continue, though. We are going to pick back up on the Apostles' Creed series. And I'm preaching a message this morning titled, Jesus, God with us. Jesus, God with us. Would you pray with me before we get in? Lord, we come before you this morning and and we ask, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, we want to hear your voice today as we study your word. God, I pray that your, your people, Lord, would, would hear what it is that you have to say to them and that their hearts would be open and receptive. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So your understanding, your understanding of who Jesus is, is the single greatest issue in your life. It's the single greatest thing in your life. Your view of Christ is the most important thing. The view of Christ for anyone, any human that's ever lived, their view of Jesus Christ is the single most important view that they can have. They can, they can, they can look at any other historical figure. They can look at any other issue in their life, and, and it can be important and something that is of great priority in their life. But the greatest issue, the greatest vision that somebody could have is a correct vision of Christ, who is Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? Who did he claim to be and and who is he? And so, so many people have differing views about Christ. You talk to, you get a group of 10 different people, 50 different people, 100 different people. You go to each one, who is Jesus Christ? And some are going to say he was God. Some are going to say he was a good teacher. Some are going to say he was a prophet. Some will say that he was many different things. They'll, They'll come up with different ideas of things that they have believed about Christ. But that is the view of Christ is the most important view that you can have. People throughout history have had different views. H.G. Wells, a British author, this was his view of Jesus. He says, I am a historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Mikhail Gorbachev, the former president of the Soviet Union, he said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. John Lennon, you guys know who John Lennon was? Lead singer, one of the lead singers of, found, co-founder of, of the Beatles. He says this about Jesus and Christianity. He says, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. You see three different views. What were those three different views? Jesus is a historical figure. Jesus is a socialist. And Jesus is a competitor for popularity. Three, three different views of who Jesus is. How, who do you see as Jesus? Who is Jesus in your life? Well, Jesus asked the question of his disciples. He wanted to know, what do the H.G. Wells and the John Lennons of his day say about him? Look at Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others 
say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets? And he said to them, but who do you say that he is? Who do you say that I am? Did you, you see the transition there? You see, it's, it is important to hear what other people have to say about Christ. But the most important thing is what do you say about Christ? Who is Jesus? Who do you know him to be? And so in that day, the disciples said, well, some say he's Elijah. Some say he's, he's one of the prophets, reincarnated. He's come back. But Jesus brought it in. He brought it close. And he says, no, what do you say? Because it's not about what your mom says about Christ, what she taught you, or your dad taught you about Jesus. It's not even if you went to a Christian school, like Homo Christian School, and they teach you about Jesus. It's not what they say, or what your neighbor says, or what John Lennon or Mikhail Gorbachev says. The question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16 is a question that every person must answer. Who is Jesus? And look what Peter, he replied. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. What was Peter saying there? Peter was not just making a a small declaration there. He was making the declaration of all declarations. He was saying that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. That's what the word Christ means. He was the Messiah. But then he says he is the son of the living God. He was saying that Jesus is God. He was making the declaration of all declarations about who Jesus is. And from that declaration all the way through until today, the church has confessed the same thing that Peter confesses, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And this is the premise of our study through the Apostles' Creed. We're looking at the earliest creed or confession of the church. And this is what the Apostles' Creed is. And we've been going through, breaking it down, and and not necessarily studying the creed, but studying Scripture and seeing what the creed affirms is what Scripture affirms. So we're studying God's Word about who God is and what He's done. And and more in particular, we're going to look at Christ today. So let's, as as a way of going back over the Apostles' Creed, let's read it. Let's read the creed, and then we're going to look at Christ further today. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived from the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. This is what we're going to study here today. And specifically, we're going to study this section. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So I have three things we're going to talk about as concerning Jesus. We're going to look at who He is. We're going to look at at, at what He came to do. And we're going to look at our response to Jesus. Who He is, what He came to do, and our response to Him. So who is Jesus? Firstly, Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. He's God. He's God. Peter's confession declared that he was God. Peter's confession declared that Jesus was God. And the virgin birth is a great demonstration of that reality that Jesus, when he came to the earth, was not just a man, but he was God. The virgin birth declares that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, not natural conception, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. God implanted a seed into the woman Mary and and Mary gave birth and she had never been with a man. 
born, conceived of the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And, and, and I believe that the, the doctrine of the, 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 the conception of the Spirit and the virgin birth is second in importance only to the resurrection for our Christian faith. Because everything else in Christ's life hinges on the virgin birth. If, if he was not virgin born, he was just any other man, then he couldn't have been the sinless sacrifice for humanity. Everything leading up to the cross would be nothing and meaningless. It hinges on him not being born under the curse of sin, not being born under the, the, the curse of sin after Adam, but he was sent from God. It's a picture of the virgin birth, and it is a miracle. It doesn't make any sense, naturally. You, you, how, how can that be? Just as we looked at God as, cre- as creator, how can God create everything that we see as revealed in Genesis with his very words spoken into existence? How can it be that God was raised from the dead after three days? How can it be that he's virgin born? But it is a picture that he is God. Luke 1, the angel comes and talks to Mary. It says this, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is, is in her old age and she is also conceived. Mary, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed, conceived the Spirit. And then the angel came and spoke to Joseph because Joseph was like engaged to Mary and Mary's going to become pregnant. So God had to prepare Joseph and say, wait a minute, we, you're going to think that Mary was fooling around on you, but I'm here to tell you this is what actually happened. And, and the angel tells Joseph and look at Matthew 1 and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's no denying that Jesus is God through Scripture, through the revelation of Scripture. This is what Scripture affirms. It's clear. Now, you can doubt the virgin birth, and you can doubt Scripture about its declaration, but as believers, we believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. It is a very breathed-out words of God, and there's no, there's no confusion. Jesus is God, according to His Word. He's truly God and truly man, and how that works out, we can't comprehend in our natural mind. How can you be fully God and fully man at the same time? Only God can do that. He was the earthly reflection of the eternal God. Scripture makes that clear. I just want to look at just one section, just through the Gospel of John. I could take you to many other places, the book of Hebrews. I could take you to Romans. We could go throughout the New Testament, and I can show you, and even in the Old Testament, show you where Scripture declares Jesus as God. But look at, just look at John. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning With God, all things were made through him, and without him wasn't anything made that was made. So who is the word that was in the beginning? Who was the word that was God? Well, verse 14 gives us the answer. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. This word that was in the beginning before the beginning had a beginning. This word that created all things. This word that was God. Verse 14 says that word became flesh in Christ. Jesus is God. John 5, 18, the, the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled about Jesus. Listen, listen to this. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking their rules, the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So not only was Jesus God, 
but the way he was communicating, the way he was talking, the, the scribes and Pharisees, they called him a blasphemer and he was worthy of death. That's ultimately why they crucified him. Because they were saying he was blaspheming. He was making himself equal with God. Look at John 8, another conversation with the scribes and Pharisees. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What a declaration. Now you have to understand what that means, I, I am. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is taking upon himself a title that you see God taking in the Old Testament. When God spoke to Moses and Moses didn't want to go to Egypt and to Pharaoh, Moses said, tell them that I am that I am has sent me to you, has sent you to, to them. I am that I am. This is, it's an eternal declaration of God. And Jesus is saying, I, before Abraham was, I Am. And when you go through John, there's six other I am statements where Jesus is not mincing words. He's saying, I am the eternal God. Look at the, the verse, verse 59 there. It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Only God can do that. When it says he hid himself, it wasn't like he said it and then he like did this, did a quick little like escape. He wasn't an escape artist. He was the ultimate escape artist. He went, <laughs> he's gone. Do you remember in the upper room, whenever Jesus was resurrected and the gospels tell us that Thomas was doubting and Jesus comes into the room, but not through the door. Who was Jesus? He was God. Only God does that. This is who Jesus is. So why does it matter that we believe correctly about Jesus? Because any other view of Jesus other than that he is God, is a false view. Any other view of Jesus, other than that he was not only God, he, God eternal, past and present, but that he was God when he walked the earth, is a false view of Christ. And ultimately, in an extreme end, it is a damning view. There's only one correct view according to God's word. It is that Jesus is, was and is God forever and eternal. And when he walked the earth, he was the God-man. That's the biblical view. That's the orthodox view of Christ. And any other view, why does it matter? Because any other view is wrong. And we must confess correctly. So I want to give you some examples of wrong confessions of Christ. Now, I want to give you three of them. One of them, uh, uh, this one category, is an extreme end. But before I give you those categories, it's, this is kind of what, this is a, an illustration to kind of help us process this. So if I told you, that this is a $20 bill, would you, would you believe me? If I told you this was real, would you believe me? Yeah? Well, the, my question to you is, is, why would you believe me? Why would you believe me that, that this is a $20 bill? Because it looks real. That's exactly right. The first service, <laughs> someone on the front row said, because you told me so. And I said, Save that for a moment. I'll get to that here in about five minutes. I'm going to get to that, okay? So you tag that thought in the back of your head, and we're going to come back to it. But you would believe me that this is real because it looks real. And that's the same idea centered around a false view of Christ. It looks real. It looks real. Somebody says, well, this is Christ. This is what Christ has done. This is who he is. And it can look real. It can sound good. But it can ultimately be false. And you've got to use that. And it doesn't get you anything because it's fake. Well, here's, some, here's one group. There's the Mormons. 
They're very popular in our world today, and they, they believe incorrectly about Jesus. Look, this is what the Mormons teach. And you can look this up on their website. This is where I got it. Jesus is one of many sons of God. That's what they teach. And is just a man, not God himself. They teach that Satan and Jesus are brothers as well as you and I. So Satan and Jesus are brothers that they believe that in eternity past, somewhere in eternity past, that there is some celestial um, uh, conception taking place and Jesus and Satan were born from God. They were born of God, and so then they're brothers. So then that means that we are all brothers of Satan and of Jesus. And so ultimately what they teach is is that Jesus was not born as a God, but that he attained to Godhood. And so if we are brothers of Christ, then that means we can become gods as well. That's what Mormons teach. It's a false view of Christ. The Jehovah Witnesses, this is what they teach. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael. That was his first appearance was as the archangel michael before the physical world existed they believe he is a lesser god jehovah witnesses believe that when jesus was on earth though that he was a mere human he was not god in the flesh i want you to think about that jehovah witnesses teach that when jesus walked the earth he was not god in the flesh put that in the back of your head for a moment islam teaches that jesus was not the son of god but rather was only a prophet they revere him and they hold him high but they don't believe he's a son of god And he's a way of salvation. You believe he was a good prophet. Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, and Islam. Those are extreme cases. And those are damning views of Christ. According to scripture, those those views of Christ are not accurate or not biblical. And they don't lead to salvation. But we can understand that, right? We can can see through those weeds. But where we struggle is, is that there's more subtle lies about Christ that we can be deceived by. So I want to read a quote to you. I'm not going to tell you who this is from. Until I'm ready to tell you. And I, I, want you, I want you to talk to me and tell me if you think this is accurate. Okay? It's a pastor in our country. Listen to this. Jesus so restricted his function on earth that he couldn't heal anyone. He couldn't multiply food, cast out devils, or do any of that stuff. Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. He says that Jesus performed miracles not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us. But if he did them as a man, I am responsible to pursue his lifestyle. So what do you think about that? Before I tell you the name of this person, what do you think about about that? Is this preacher right? I mean, let's, let's think about it. What did we just read in John? What did we read in Matthew, and in Luke, that Jesus is God, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Not just a man with us, but God with us. Jesus declared, I am. And in in John 14, Philip said, 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 Jesus, can you show us the Father? Show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus says, have you been with me so long that you don't know yet? That when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is equating himself with God. He is saying that he is one with God. So is this pastor right? No, he's, he's wrong. Now, I have another question for you. Once I tell you his name, he's a very popular pastor. Once I tell you his name, is it going to change what he said? Because here's what happens. And I just, this, is, this is just for us to think deeply here today as Christians. I want you to think deeply. If I told you this, I'm wrong. The first church, I mean, the first service, they really set it up. They said that the person there in the front row said, 
Because you said so. Because you told me it's a $20 bill. And that's exactly what we do all the time. If we're not careful, we can do that. Well, well, really, is that really what they meant? Is it out of context? And I want to tell you this quote's not out of context. I've listened to multiple sermons where he said the same thing. I've read part of his book where he said it. So are you ready to find out who it is? It's Bill Johnson, the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. Some of you don't know who he is. Some of you do know who he is. And this is not something that he hides. He's very proud of this statement. That's why he says it all the time. So that shouldn't sway you. But I know it did. I know the reaction. I feel it. You're like, Bill Johnson said that? Well, clearly that's not what he meant. <clears throat> no, it really is what he meant. Because that's what he believes. I've heard him. So I just want to tell you, don't, no matter who, who says it, is it true or is it not? Scripture affirms to us that Jesus is God. He was truly God and truly man. Bill Johnson affirms that Jesus is God, but he denies a key component of Christ's life when he walked the earth. He says that he was not God when he did those miracles. And he makes the point that Jesus was not God when he did the miracles so that, as Bill Johnson says, we can follow his pattern. He shows us what it looks like when a man is fully surrendered to God. Let's think about that logic for a second. How will we ever know if we're fully surrendered to God? And if that's the standard, what did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He walked through walls. He had power over nature. He was in the boat and he called the sea down and cursed the wind. And if we believe, as Bill Johnson teaches, that that's what we have to ultimately do, then that, and, and, and we can never do it until we're fully surrendered, that's another deception. False beliefs about Christ lead to other false doctrines. Do you follow me? It's so important we believe correctly about Christ. So, why did Jesus, as God with us, do miracles when he walked the earth? Why did he do miracles when he walked the earth? The Bible tells us. Look at John chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why did Jesus do the miracles? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not so that you can believe he's a man fully surrendered to God, so that you can believe that he is the Son of God. What did they always say about Christ? When, when there were doubters, when there were doubters like, like Nicodemus coming to see Jesus at night, what did Nicodemus tell Jesus? He told Jesus, the things you do, only God can do. Or only someone from God can do. He re- they recognize the divine power that God's the only one that can heal. God's the only one that has power over life and death and, and, and over the miracles that he's doing. Jesus did those miracles so that we would believe, they would believe, so that we would believe. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's who Christ is. You guys follow me? It's important that we believe correctly about Christ. Listen to Ken- Keith Matheson. He talks about why it's important to have an accurate Christology. One's answers to these questions determine whether one is worshiping the triune God revealed in Scripture or an idol of one's own imagination. One's answers determine whether one is a follower of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or a follower of one of the multitude of false Christ. That's why it's important that we must believe correctly. Who is Jesus here today? Who was he when he walked the earth? You can talk to me. He's God, the Son of God. Never was he not God. 
He was always God. This is who Christ is. It matters what we say about him. It matters what we believe about Jesus. And we confess what scripture affirms and what the church for centuries has confessed. That Jesus is not just a good teacher or a prophet. He's not the brother of Satan, nor is he a created being. We confess that Jesus was and is God eternal. Is that your confession today? Amen. Mine too. Second confession of Christ about Jesus is this, is that Jesus is the Christ. He's God. This is who he is. Now this is, this is what he came to do. He's the Christ. He's the Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. People always say that, Jesus Christ, but I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, Christ was not his last name. The word Christ is a reflection of a title. It's a title. It's what he came to do. The word Christ means Messiah. So the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah that would save them from oppression. And so Jesus came, not as the Messiah they were looking for. You guys know that, right? They came, they were looking for a Messiah who was going to come with military might and overthrow Rome so that they can have a, a, a peace in this life. But Jesus came as the Messiah they weren't looking for. What did Jesus come to do as the Christ? He came to save people his people from their sins. Look at Matthew one twenty one, And she will bear a son, the angel tells Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Jews says, we don't need savior saving from sins. We're righteous. We keep the law. We need a Messiah, a Christ that's going to come and is going to do away with Rome and we're going to not be oppressed anymore. That's the Christ that we need. But Jesus specifically came. He is God, but he came as a savior. He's the Messiah king who came to save. Amen? Is that your confession today? God did not become a man to make us a better version of ourselves. God became a man to save us from ourselves. He's the savior king. He's the Messiah savior king. This is what he came to do. Christianity is not a self-improvement religion. That's what you get outside of Christianity. Self-improvement. Just restrain your flesh. Try to be good. Try to not be as bad as you were last year. Be a little bit better and maybe the gods will be happy with you. Christianity is not a self-improvement religion. It's not a self-improvement message. It's a message of rescue. It's a message of reconciliation. That, God, that man is far from God. You guys follow me? Man is far from God. And that man must be reconciled, brought back into relationship with God. And Jesus came to bridge the gap between man that's in rebellion with the holy God. Self-improvement only works skin deep. It only works on what we do on the outside. That's not Christianity. Just focusing on the outside, that's man-made religion. You guys ever, as parents, or maybe when you were a child, you ever told your child, to clean their room? Anybody ever do that? Yeah. Weekly, daily, tell them to clean your room. And you go and you inspect. You go in there and you inspect. And you're looking around. You're looking at the floor and you're thinking, man, my child is amazing. They're awesome. They cleaned up everything. Looks like I could eat off the floor. It's so clean. And you look around and you just say, it's too good to be true. I'm just going to look just to check. And you turn towards the closet and Johnny says, oh no, mommy, don't open the door. And the mom goes and she opens the door and what happens to mom? She gets tackled with an avalanche of stuff. And so what did Johnny do when he cleaned his room? He stuffed it. That 
is what I call closet stuffing religion. It's not Christianity. Closet stuffing religion. I'm just going to stuff my fears, stuff my anxieties. I'm going to stuff my sin. I'm going to stuff my addiction. I'm going to put it in the closet, put it in the closet. I'm going to put it in the closet. I'm going to shove the door. I'm going I'm to push it as hard as I can. I'm going I'm to latch it. And I'm not even going to breathe on it after that because it may all come out. How exhausting is that? Jesus came to save us from ourselves. We all have that tendency to push into the closet the things that we know are not right about us and we're trying to manage it and we're trying to fix it and we're trying to work it and we're, we're stuffing it into the closet of our life. And Jesus says, I am God. I am a God that came to save. I'm the God that came to save. I'm the Messiah King who came on a rescue mission and I want you to open your closet. I want you to let it all out. I know it's in there. And that's so true what we do. We think we're deceiving our mom, right, when we clean our room. We think we're deceiving God when we, when we do the same thing. God says, no, I already know what's in there. Open the doors. Let it all out. And if you will let me on the inside of your heart, you will surrender to me as Lord. I'll fix everything. That is Christianity. It's like the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that parable Jesus told? Look at Luke 18. Jesus told a parable, a story to illustrate. Look at this. He says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. These were the closet stuffing religious people. And they treated others with contempt. Two men went to the, to, to, to the church, to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee who was a keeper of the law, was proud of his keeping of the law. The other, a tax collector. A tax collector was considered one of the worst sinners of Jesus' day because a tax collector would rob and steal from people. And, and some of you say they still do it today. Um, but in Jesus' day, the, 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 Jew, the Jewish tax collector would steal from their own people. They were considered hated. So a Pharisee tax collector, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you know verse 14? The crowd that Jesus is talking to, think back, what did Jesus say? I'm telling this parable to those who are trusting in themselves for righteousness. When Jesus tells this story and ends the story by saying that the tax collector went home justified, those Pharisees would have looked at Jesus and said, you have lost your mind. How in the world can a tax collector be justified? He doesn't keep the law. The Pharisee. He came into the church. That's the one that should be justified. What did the Pharisees say? I am not like those sinners. I fast twice a week. I give tithe not only of my income, but of everything in my life. I give a tenth of everything. The tax collector came in to the temple. Wouldn't even lift his head. Because he knew who he was. He felt like, I'm out of place here. I don't belong here. I'm a sinner. But he came and he beat his chest. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the point. That's the gospel. It's not closet stuffing religion. Jesus didn't come to save the Pharisees. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save the Pharisees that believe they're righteous. He came to save the Pharisees that know they're unrighteous. 
that know that they need saving. Only sinners can be saved. So where does it leave all of us? In need of saving. Who is Jesus? He's God. What did he come to do? He came to save. This is who our God is. This is what he has come to do. He is Christ the Savior. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah King who came to save. Luke uh, 19 says Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Is that you today? Have you ever come to grips with who you are apart from Christ? Are you tired of stuffing things in your closet and not ever really changing and being different? Are you tired of the guilt of the sin of your past? The guilt of the sin maybe you're currently in? Are you tired of that? Are you ready to have forgiveness with your God? You can have it through Jesus Christ. He can forgive you and make you brand new. This is our God. He's God. He's the Christ, the Messiah, King who came to save. And lastly here this morning, Jesus is Lord. This is our response. Jesus is Lord, he's God, he's the earthly reflection of the eternal God and he came to save. He's on a rescue mission and this declaration of our Lord in the Apostles' Creed, this declaration of our Lord is the only reasonable response to those who have been saved. The only reasonable thing for you to say as a Christian is our Lord. You are my Lord. We don't like that term Lord, do we? Because it sounds icky, right? That I'm subservient to somebody. We don't like that in our world today. We haven't liked it in the past and we don't like it now. This idea of Jesus being our Lord and and he is our master. We are his slaves. We are his doulos, which is the word servant, right? We don't like that terminology, but that is the picture of Christianity, that God God is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and that through salvation we, we become his slaves and he is our master. He's in charge. We do what he says with our life. I read an article about the word Lord in the church today. This is an article titled, Lord is Fading at Some Churches. It's a church in Tucson, Arizona called St. Philip's in the Hills. And this is what they say about the word Lord. It says this, for the faithful, that means God isn't referred to as him. So they're trying to rewrite traditions of scripture. They say God shouldn't be referred to as him and references to the Lord are rare. Lord has become a loaded word conveying hierarchical power over things, which is what we have recorded in our sacred text. Is not who Jesus is, that's not who Jesus understood himself to be. <laughs> Jesus didn't understand himself to be Lord, they say at St. Philip's. The way our service reads, the theology is that God is love, period. St. Philip's deacon, Thomas Lindell, added, Our service has done everything it can to get rid of power imagery. We do not pray as though we expect the big guy in the sky to come and fix everything. You know what? I'm praying to the big guy in the sky and hoping he fixes everything. That's my view. He's not the big guy in the sky. He's God eternal. And he is sovereign and he is Lord. People don't like it. You know, but one day, one day people will have to say it whether they want to say it or not, and that's never a place you want to be. Look at Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, that word many is translated most or, or majority, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you're workers of lawlessness. If you've been in church, you've heard that scripture before, and you're kind of like, man, that is hard. But you know what's really being said there? Is Jesus is looking at people that have professed to be Christians, but they've never really known the Lord. They never made him the Lord of their life. And when it comes time to judgment, they're saying, Lord, too late. They're saying, Lord, Lord, master, ruler, we did this, we did that. We tried to be good enough. We tried to earn. We tried to do this. And this should demonstrate that, that, that we're yours. But Jesus said, I never knew you. I was never in right relationship with you. I pray that would not be true of any of us here today. That he would not just be God and Savior, but that he would be our Lord. There's an idea that you can just confess Jesus as, as, as Savior, pray a prayer, and you don't have to make him Lord. It's not the gospel. They're one and the same. When you confess Christ, he becomes your Lord. He becomes your master. That is Christianity. I believe the church today is going through a season of testing. I've been saying that for the last six, seven months. We've been going through this time, and I believe we're still going through it. It's a season of testing today. God prunes the ones that he loves. He disciplines the ones he loves. Those that belong to him, those who have surrendered to his lordship, will yield to the pruning. Are you yielding to the pruning of the Lord in your life? I feel like in the church today that God is resetting our focus as a church. And we have so many different things we're looking at. We're looking at a health crisis. We're looking at a political crisis. We have all these things that are trying to force us into changing our agenda and force us into a corner. And God is refocusing us and saying, no, there are things that are more important today. He's pruning. He's shaping us. But I believe that those who are only superficial during this time, I believe that they're going to fall away. Scripture tells us that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. They're deceitful spirits today. Spirit of Antichrist. Anything that points away from Christ as God, as Lord, as Savior. Deceiving spirits. They'll follow deceiving spirits and teachings of demons. We must be sober-minded. We must not be swept away by the tidal wave of unbelief in our world today. We must hold true to our confession that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Christ, he's the son of the living God. Is that your confession today? Our beliefs matter. There's no greater belief than to believe correctly about who Jesus is because the implications are eternal. Kind of like this. You guys like to play dominoes? I like dominoes. What, what do y'all play? Y'all play Mexican train? That's good. It's the good kind. Well, we're not going to play Mexican train here, but this is, this is going to illustrate the importance of my sermon. So we're going to see if this can work. It didn't work fully in the first service, and it's looking like it may not work now. You normally don't try to stack dominoes on a slanted surface because that's that's what happens my hands are shaking too this is bad oh got one i could only get four last service okay we're gonna break the record are we gonna break the record we already broke the record okay five Our faith is like dominoes, okay? What do I mean by that? 
every belief is connected to the other belief. So if I, if I took these dominoes and we set them across all the way across this building and I touched the first one, what would the first one do? It hit the second one, hit the third one, hit the fourth one, hit the fifth one, and then down through a thousand of them, right? And it would just go straight across. So the first domino of our faith is the belief that Jesus is God. If you don't get that right, it can't touch any of the other dominoes. You, 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 will, it, you will be off course. You, every other belief in your life will be off center. You must have this first belief right. If you have Jesus, the belief of him that he is God. Secondly, that he is the Christ, the Messiah. He came to save. And thirdly, that he's Lord. All those, those are, those are going to impact every other belief that you have. If you get those right, then everything else in your life is going to line up. You'll begin to, you have that center point. Do you follow me? It's like dominoes. Our beliefs lead, one belief leads to the next, it leads to the next, that leads to the next. They are eternally connected. And this is what the church has confessed, that Jesus is God, that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior King, and that he is Lord. That's our confession. C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the same level as a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God. Or else he's a madman. Or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That's who Jesus is. Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Is that your confession today? Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to ask a question here today. Some of you here today, maybe you don't have your dominoes right. You don't have them in order. You're stacking your dominoes the wrong way. And you're not getting first things first. You're not getting Jesus's. God, you're not seeing him as God, the creator of the universe. You believe lies from the world that he's just a good teacher. And and so because you don't believe him as God, then you have a hard time believing that he's savior. And you certainly won't believe him as Lord. If, If that's you today and you know that's you, the Lord's tugging on your heart. You can set that first domino in place today. You can declare that he is God, the son of God. And you can declare that he came to save you from your sin. And you can declare him today as Lord, the Lord of your life. If that's you here today and you want to do that, that is in your heart. And you want to make that confession today. Would you lift your hands? Just, just, yes, thank you. Is there anybody else? You want to confess Christ today? Anybody else? It's between you and the Lord and that confession and the quietness of your heart. The Lord is after your heart. It's not 
I'm not praying the, cer- the certain kind of prayer, the right prayer. It's the prayer of Lord. It's the prayer of the tax collector. It's the prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you're acknowledging that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior. If you're, if you're making that confession today, you're making Jesus the Lord of your life, I have two books for you here today. You can get them at, you can get them at the welcome desk. One is called, What is the Gospel? And it'll further explain what I've been talking to you about here today, about Jesus, give you more clarity. And then secondly, it's a book called Training, How Do I Grow as a Christian? If you're making that confession today, I encourage you to go to, go to the welcome desk. Someone will be there in the foyer there to talk to you. They'll, they'll give you those books. And I want to encourage you, the way we go public with our faith is through water baptism. If you're confessing Christ today, sign up for water baptism and go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for what you've spoken to us. And I pray that we would hold on to this confession. We'd put our dominoes in order. That we would confess Jesus is God. Secondly, that he is the Messiah King who came to save. And thirdly, that he is Lord. May we continue that confession, no matter what goes on around us, no matter the drift, no matter the pull of the world, may we hold on to our confession of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I'll see you next week.